Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and we're going to talk about some Wolverine. That's right. Since we're going to cover everything that we haven't already covered from March of 2013, and that's a lot. <laughs> Alright, so let's get right to it. Alright, here we go. Okay, so first up, we have Savage Wolverine number three. Savage Part Three by Frank Cho, the writer and the artist. Jason Keith is the colorist. VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. Uh, Cho and Keith also did the cover. It's a really nice cover. Um, kind of still have that, like, monochromatic thing in the background and then a full comic Wolverine jumping out. Uh, it's really nice. We, it says Kill Island. And the whole top half of the back is like a really sweet angel of death. It's really cool. Then you have Shadow laying and she's cutting the ribs and she's bleeding. And then you have a nice panel of a cocoon in Chrysalis. Um, foreshadowing, metaphor, we'll see, but it's, it's a really cool cover. Then, of course, you have a full, fully drawn, fully colored, fully inked Wolverine, claws out and jumping out of the scene, uh, kind of keeps, keeps the pace of the first two covers. It looks really nice, uh, fantastic cover. All right, so remember Wolverine was, uh, mysteriously transported to the Savage Land, Specifically, the Forbidden Island. And there he met Shannon the She-Devil. She was there with some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And they got messed up. And killed. So she's by herself. So her and Wolverine are kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And make their way to the temple to break up the electronic interference. So they can catch a ride home. Then also, Amadeus Cho was teleported. And the tribesmen meet him, and he uses his power to float, and they think he's a god. So that's where we start off. Uh, the tribal chief is presenting the finest maidens in the village to their new god, Amadeus Cho. And of course, we have four women from the tribe, all with ginormous breasts, <laughs> and wearing next to nothing. And they're being offered to Amadeus Cho by the chief. And, of course, he's shell-shocked by how big the boobs are. And then she's like, don't you like girls, oh holy one? 
And so one of them kind of gets aggressive with them and crawls up on him. Her name is Loana, which, I don't, anyway, um, they, all, they all kind of look like a cross between uh, Shannon the She-Devil and Slave Girl Leia. Anyway, uh, Amadeus Cho is very uncomfortable, and he uses the excuse that he wants to get down to business and figure out what's going on. He wants with the mountain. And so the chief gives a double clap and the girls leave. Which I don't I know we're saying this is like a prehistoric tribe. But not sure how I feel about the women just being offered up to him. That's kind of our uh, <laughs> Neanderthalish. So we have the, the chief asks Amadeus Cho what he wants to know. And he wants to know the history of the island and of the mountain. And he talks about how they're protecting the mountain from strangers to keep the dark walker in slumber. And Amadeus Cho asks him some more questions. And he, the chief says they got an ancient machine. And don't worry, it's up and running. And he says, we'll start from the beginning. And the chief looks confused. But then he decides that Amadeus Cho is just testing him to make sure he knows the history and the story of the people well so that he can please his God. So he tells a story about a big comet-like light that falls to the island as bright as a hundred suns. And of course we see and we know it's a celestial and he's finding this thing that looks like a cross between uh, James Cameron alien no, not James Cameron. <sighs> Moron. Ridley Scott, alien, and Man-Thing. He talks about how they wrestled across the island for days. And the, what do they call the Celestial? They call the Star Giant. And then the other thing is called the Dark Walker. And the Star Giant got the upper hand, but the Dark Walker cannot be killed. So he entombed him to slumber forever. And then he evolved the Neanderthals into man and set them to guard the machine to keep the Dark Walker forever asleep. Which kind of reminds me of the sleeping Celestial in uh, X-Men. So I guess Celestials like to... Their sleep is very important to them. So anyway, they show all the different time periods that the people have come and been called to the Dark Walker, and they've defeated them every time. You have a Roman centurion, a conquistador, a cowboy, and a World War II soldier. But he says that they've done their job, and the, the Dark Walker still slumbers to this day for eternity! So Obadiah Cho does a good job, but they don't know how the people are getting here. The chief suspects that maybe the Dark Walker is reaching out and pulling people here or calling people here to try to set him free. Then he asks him about Calvin and Amadeus. Of course, that's the Amadeus chose AI. He actually tries to explain it in modern day terms, but the chief just looks at him dumbfounded. So he calls him his spirit guide. Then we got a ruckus outside and 
some tribesmen have brought the uh, Reaper, which is the flying pterodactyl man, and the chief heals him and asks what happened, and he talks about a man with claw fist and a woman warrior, and Amadeus Cho automatically knows that it's Shannon the She-Devil and Wolverine. I get how he knows Wolverine. I'm not sure how he knows Shannon the She-Devil, just from that very brief re- description. But his AI in his voice, in his head, I mean, tells him that they probably have a ship, so he wants to find them so he can get off the island as well. So they decide to go looking for him. Then we see Wolverine and Shanna are scoping out the temple. Wolverine's counting. He's trying to count how long it takes the various guards to make the perimeter of the temple. And Shanna interrupts him and says, You should count it in Mississippis. Wolverine's like, What? And she's like, One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Spaces the time more uniformly. Wolverine's like, Don't tell me how to count. Cripe, she made me lose my voice. Shanna apologizes and climbs on a tree. The Wolverine very quietly counts one Mississippi, two Mississippi. <laughs> so that's funny. And then a dinosaur jumps on Wolverine's back and knocks him off the cliff. We get a nice scene where Wolverine takes out the dinosaur, but then he realizes the guards have found him and they've come to get him. And then we got the caveman version of Wolverine. He's got like an animal skin as a cow over his head and he has claws strapped to his wrist. But then the guy gives up and he takes off his claws and lays them down. This Wolverine decides that the guy thinks they're kindred spirits because they both have the same kind of look, I guess, with the claws and the cow. And I guess you can interpret Wolverine's cow as like an animal skin head. Not, not skin head. <laughs> An animal skin on his head. So he Wolverine decides he's going to approach very cautiously. He pulls his claws in. Of course, he can't lay his down. But he retracts his claws. And he, they're approaching each other very timidly. And then Shanna falls out of the tree. And the her branch broke. Hits the guy on the head. Wolverine's like, damn it, woman, what did you do? And then the tribesmen are like, Oh, you bested our warrior. No more coming in peace. And they decide to attack. Then we get probably the best page of the book. is a double page spread of a ton of cavemen attacking Wolverine and Shanna. And them fighting back. And it's pretty awesome. Then we have we, Wolverine is admiring Shanna's fighting technique. But he sees reinforcements. He gets distracted. And then Shanna takes a spear through the chest. And she's like, oh, hell. And then she passes out. Wolverine screams, Shanna, no! And I guess his noise attracts attention. And the saber-tooth tiger attacks him. They fall off a cliff. Of course, Wolverine takes care of the tiger in the air, but they continue to fall. Uh, Cho tells the chief to heal Shanna, but he says the wound is too great. But there's a ritual that might save her. No, we better hurry. And so Cho's like, do it. And they're like, yes, my God. So then we see the sun setting. And we see the cliff. And we see Wolverine's hand reaching over the cliff and then grabbing the cliff. And then his head and arm reach up. And then he's got his claws out. He's up on back on top of the cliff. And he says, I'm going to kill every last beep 
on this island. So Wolverine's pissed. Alright, and that's pretty much it. Um, the art is fantastic. The story is still pretty fun. We still have some good mystery. We get kind of the origin of the island and the um, Dark Walker. So it seems like a celestial came and started involving the island. And that makes sense in Marvel history. So that's cool. Yeah, like I said, the Dark Walker looks like a cross between Man-Thing and Alien. And I kind of wish they didn't show the next cover in the back. It looks really cool, but then it says Man-Thing in the bottom corner. So it kind of ruined some of the potential surprise. Like, they really had me guess... Like, I don't know, like I said in the first issue, I thought the thing looked kind of like Man-Thing, but that doesn't mean I necessarily expected it to play out that way, and now it kind of looks like it's going to. So that, a little disappointing, but can't blame the issue for that. The issue was really good. Lots of action, lots of fun. A little, a little bit cheesier than the first two, but not bad. So, let's see, two or three. Um, it was fun. Like I said, it was a little bit cheesier. I'm gonna give Savage Wolverine number three. Two out of three claws. It's a very, it's a borderline, a very strong two. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to give it two. So Savage Wolverine, two out of three claws. But I'm looking forward to the next issue. So, all right, cool. Well, let's move on. Okay, so now it's time for a little something old, something new. We have all new X Men number nine, number nine, number nine. <laughs> anyway, um. Alright, so written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Stuart Eminen, inked by Wayne Von Grabager, and colors are by Marte Gracia and Rain Barreto. VC's Corey Pennant is the letterer, and the cover is by Eminen, Von Grabager, and Gracia. It's a pretty sweet cover. We have some sort of destruction going on, and then standing over that, are Mystique and Sabretooth. Very nicely drawn. Nice cover. And glad to see Sabretooth. So we start off with the uh, young X-Men in Times Square. And uh, <laughs> uh, Scott, young Scott Summers asks if everything is a commercial. And can you pride? He's like, yes, Scott, everything. And so they're kind of looking around amazed. Uh, it was kind of a bunch of stuff, a bunch of kind of Easter eggs, I guess, or whatever. Commercial for Stark, Oscorp, uh, Shaw, a virtual tour of the Baxter Building, uh, Dazzler the Musical, uh, a thing about Avengers Tower, then a, a, a poster of Craven, which I don't know if that's supposed to be a Broadway thing or not, but I like the idea of there being a Broadway musical, even more than I like Dazzler the musical. The Craven, I, I'd buy tickets to see Craven the musical. Anyway, Kitty gets on to Jean for evading her thoughts, and she says she's sorry, she's still getting used to the power. But then Jean asks, why, why are you scared of me? And Kitty says, because you've been acting scary. Of course, referring to uh, her kind of turning off uh, Angel's panic attack. She goes, if you're going to act that way, don't be surprised when people start treating you that way. 
And Jean gets very indignant. She's like, it was the right thing to do at the time. And Kitty's like, says who? Of course, the other X-Men are all pointing up to the sky as Spider-Man swings by. And so Iceman asks what they're doing here. And Kitty says, you know what, what a sentinel is? And Jean gives the textbook answer, but Kitty's like, I told you to get out of my head, because apparently she was cheating. <laughs> cheating uh, telepathically. And Bobby's like, they make mutant hunting robots, which that's interesting, because I think that gives us a pretty good clue of where the past the X-Men came from, because obviously it's before Sentinels. And that was, what, issue pretty early. <laughs> X-Men number 14. So, wherever the, these young X-Men came from, it was before issue 14. That's interesting. But then we see some Sentinels start attacking New York. And Kitty's going to basically turn the team loose to fight them. So, as an X-Men fan, we were pretty obvious this is a danger room scenario at this point and the X-Men go to work but not very good work uh, they kind of all get taken out Iceman gets taken out and Kitty's like what do you have to offer Jean and she's like telekinesis and a really nice panel there and Kitty says show me so Jean telekinetically throws a bus at a sentinel but he just blasts it Angel flies beast up to a sentinel's head and he goes, what do you want me to do? And Beast is like, look busy. Cyclops is yelling at his teammates. And Gene says, they can't hear you. But Gene telekinetically knocks the Sentinel down. So that's pretty cool. But she's obviously gassed. Because Scott's like, Gene! She said she just needs a minute. But then two Sentinels come up and blast them. And Iceman... Is going to come save Kitty, but she phases, so he goes right through her and crashes. Beats is trying to electrocute a sentinel, but then he gets, or not electrocute, short circuit, but then he gets electrocuted. And as he falls, Angel tries to catch him, and he gets punched out of the air by a sentinel. That's pretty awesome. And Cyclops is yelling for them to regroup. And then we get Times Square program pause from Kitty. And the scene starts to fade into the danger room. And, <laughs> and just by the way, that whole little sequence of that battle was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, Eminem's still turning in some pretty top-notch art. And his action was really nice. And the colors, super nice by Gracia. Uh, still, he's still doing a stellar job in this book. Really good colors. So she says... So what do you think we did wrong there? And don't say everything. And Gene says, it felt like everything. <laughs> and Kenny responds, it was almost everything. Times Square program close. <laughs> and then Iceman's like, why is this danger room hurt so much? Our danger room is like a big red ball that flies at us really fast. Some hoops and a, uh, this is really elaborate. And Kenny wants, she asks him, what do you think you did wrong, Bobby? And Iceman's like, I tried to save you. And she says, that's right. <laughs> of course, Iceman thought he was just being sarcastic. But Kitty calls him out. Says, if you had done your homework, you would have known I was intangible. And I was the only one that didn't need saving. 
And also, furthermore, I can face through electronics and short circuit them. Y'all can use my power. Iceman turns to Cyclops and kind of whisk under his breath is like, was there a reading I was supposed to do? <laughs> and then she asks Beast what he did wrong, and he's like, I get it, I get it. And then she compliments Cyclops, says he did very good in the field, but he was not a good leader. That he, his action was good, but nobody was paying attention to him, and he completely he completely lost control. And Cyclops asks if he still is the leader. And, she's, and Kitty replies, well, you are the one barking orders, but you all have to decide who's really going to lead the team. Then she tells him she'll give him a copy of the of the training tape. I'm sorry, footage, because it's not tape anymore. It's digital. So the copy of the training footage, and they should go over it. <laughs> and Iceman says, that sounds awesome. <laughs> but then Angel, out of the corner... Uh, Gene may have kind of made him calm down, but he hasn't changed his mind completely. He's like, he's in the corner with arms crossed. What does this have to do with anything? And Kenny's like, I'm in charge of training you. And she's like, yeah, but Beast brought us here. Old Beast brought us here. Remember, I'm using old and young as age, not time-wise. So Old Beast brought him here. Scared that Cyclops was going to commit mutant genocide. Well, where is this mutant genocide we're supposed to be preventing, fighting? And Kitty's like, that's what Henry said he brought you from the past for? And Cyclops says, those exact words. She's like, huh. But she says, well, I just want to make sure you all survive. So everybody out. Storm's class is on the way. And Gene looks back, and we see Cyclops. And Gene says... Who's Mystique? And Kitty gets alarmed, like, what? And Cyclops glares at Gene, get out of my head. Of course, I remember a few issues ago, uh, Mystique confronted the young Cyclops and kind of gave him the what for. And Gene says, you met a woman named Mystique. And Kitty's like, when did this happen? And Cyclops gets indignant and storms off. And Kitty runs after him, and Gene's like, Mystique, obviously kind of jealous. So we see the raft, Riker's Maximum Security Installation. There's a helicopter landing, and the guards are like, what's going on? And Maria Hill walks out, and she has a surprise prisoner. She captured Sabretooth in the vicinity, and it was the closest, most secure prison she could get to. And so she brought Sabretooth there. They wanted to know what to do with him. And and she just says, well, find a hole and throw him in it. He's in adamantium shackles. But then she's like, hey, you know what? I totally forgot. Those aren't adamantium shackles. Do we even, do we even have adamantium shackles? And then she walks off. And of course, kind of get the idea. She's mystique. Sabretooth breaks out. And starts massacring the guards. And so Mystique says that she's here. She goes to a cell. And she's giving a pitch to an unseen prisoner. She says, I don't care about mutants. I don't care about the good mutants. And I don't care about the bad mutants. I used to care. Sometimes I cared a lot. But you know what? Charles Xavier is dead. And so is his dream. So screw it. 
How about we uh, we all use our considerable powers and get rich, really rich, buy an island and sit on it rich. Is that something you'd, you would be interested in? Then we see Lady Mastermind, and she's like, oh yeah, beats this place. And so they're going to get Mystique calls her out on her name, says it sounds sexist. Says they don't call your dad Dude Mastermind. And she says she'll consider a name change. And the guards get up, and Mystique says, just scare them. And Lady, Lady Mastermind, or whatever she's going to be called now, says, I can do scary. We get a full-page panel, and it's the Marvel zombies attacking the guards. Pretty nice panel. So that's what the guards think is happening. They think they're being eaten alive by Mar- Marvel superhero zombies. So then we switch over to Beast Lab. An angel walks in, says, you're not dying anymore, I see. And old Beast is like, what can I do for you, Warren? And Warren, young Warren says, I was wondering where this mutant genocide you were selling us on is. And old Beast says he wasn't lying. And young angel says, oh, I don't see it. And old Beast kind of gives him a lecture on reality. Says, this school is not the, the real world. It's our mutant bubble where everything is the way we want it. But out there, things have never been worse. And Angel's like, genocide worse? And he talks about old Scott Summers calling for a revolution and how dangerous it is. It's the last thing people want to see. And he says the two options are to either fight Cyclops or to join him and fight the humans in his revolution. But he doesn't want to do either. And this school is about not doing either. And so young Angel asks, well, what would it take to fight back against the humans? And he says, sentinels or microscopic sentinels. If they show up at our door, then I can fight back. But I think the only thing that will make them show up at our door is Scott Summers leading his revolution, which I think that's so, everything that we've been through, I think that's a little naive on Old Beast part. I mean, we've seen sentinels for all kinds of reasons, so... Uh, I don't know about that little part there. But he, he sticks to his plan that he brought the young X-Men here to to give old Scott Summers, our Scott Summers, our Cyclops, a wake-up call to make him snap out of it. And he says, you're wondering where the mutant genocide is? I'm telling you that if I, we, played this right, we've avoided it. I didn't bring you here to witness the mutant genocide. I brought you here to avoid. And he looks and sees something and trails off a mutant genocide. Oh, my stars and garters! And Kitty has has followed uh, young Scott into the kitchen. And she says, why did you tell me you bumped into Mystique? And he says, I don't have to. You got your psychic hound dog, Jean Grey, snooping around in my head. And then... uh, they pause, and we see them look out the window. Then we see the young X-Men look out the window. Then we get our only Wolverine appearance. He looks out the window, and he's like, Son of a! And we see a scene that mirrors the last panel from Uncanny X-Men number three. And the Uncanny X-Men are at the school, and Cyclops is quoting Professor X, and he says, To me, my X-Men! I like Eminem's version of the Uncanny X-Men. I like his version of Cyclops' new uniform. And his, his Magneto is really cool. 
So we have old Cyclops, Magneto, Emma Frost, and Magic. Magic has teleported them there. And he's come to get some students to take back with him. So that ought to be a really exciting next issue. And we'll probably, I guess, see a crossover with Uncanny X-Men at this point. So that should be cool. Pretty exciting. So this issue, number nine, uh, makes another really strong entry into this comic book. It's still just really kick butt. Still really excited about it. The art, fantastic. Uh, the coloring is still really, really awesome. Uh, Bendis' story is still going along pretty well. We get some nice humor, some nice character interaction, lots of nice dialogue. So, still going to rave about all new X-Men, but I won't rave too long. we got got a lot of stuff to talk about, and I mean, what can I say I haven't said before? So... Once again, unsurprisingly, I'm going to give all new X-Men number 9, 3 out of 3 claws. Another great issue, and I'm really looking forward to the next issue. And whatever, whether they show up in Uncanny X-Men or not, they're obviously going to interact with them, and that's super exciting to me. So really, really want to see what happens next. But as far as this issue goes, it was still really good. So I'm going to give, like I said, all new X-Men number 9, Three out of three claws. All right, cool. So now it's time for our segment and the X-Men. We have Wolverine and the X-Men number 27. Savage Learning Part 3. Generation Dog. It's written by Jason Aaron. Art by Ramon Perez. Colors are by Laura Martin and Matt Mia. Letter is by, or the letter is, VCs Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by Ramon Perez and Laura Martin. Those covers are pretty cool. We basically have Dog leading Wolverine students through the Savage Land. And yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Eye Boy looks terrified. Everybody else looks like they're pretty, uh, pretty tough. So. And there's a dinosaur print in front of them. Yeah, it's nice. Nice cover. Hey, so remember Wolverine's brother, Dog, showed up. He's been time traveling. And he's trying to show that he's a better teacher than Wolverine. And Wolverine has taken the kids on a field trip to the Savage Land. Okay, cool. So we start off at the uh, conference room of the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. We had the, the staff having a meeting. There's Beast, Storm, Kitty Pride, Iceman, Warbird, and Dupe. And Dupe is passed out on the table. Beast is drinking tea with his foot. And uh, we're basically all talking about whether they should be worried about Wolverine not being back yet. But then also how peaceful it is that Quentin Quire has gone or has been gone for a little while. Then the School has run more smoothly. And that's about it. But of course, Kitty says, Oh, we shouldn't worry. Wolverine can handle a, a little trip, a little measly trip to the Savage Land. But I gotta say on this page, um, the art's a little wonky at parts. Uh, Perez has kind of grown on me over the last few issues. I really like his storm. I'm not sure about his version of the new Beast. It's okay. And Kitty Pride looks a little bit too 
Sunday morning comic strip slash slash Archie for me. But uh, then we switch to the Savage Land and and it picks right back up to uh, being pretty good. I like his Wolverine. I've talked about how I like his cow especially. It looks pretty cool. So we see, of course, Wolverine, who they're sure he can handle himself and, and classic comic comedic timing. We have um, a scene of Wolverine having it under control, as Kitty says, trying to cut his way out of this strange future rope that his brother is tied him up in. And we get another thing where he kicks a dinosaur in the mouth and Perez writes, boot. <laughs> that was cool. Then we show hours earlier, and they're on the Blackburn. Wolverine's talking to Evan. Evan's lamenting the fact that he has apocalypse in him. And Wolverine says, oh, you can't, it's not what's in you. It's not, it's not your blood. It's who you are. And Wolverine says he's proud of the way that Evan has carried himself. Of course, then Evan says, but no matter what I do, there's a part of me that will always be apocalypse. And Wolverine kind of saddles up next to him and says, let me tell you a little story. Something I ain't ever told anyone, not even the other X-Men. I'm going to tell you what sort of blood I got in my veins. And he kind of looks away and says, I'm going to tell you about my father. I thought that was interesting. We'll see a little bit more of this kind of thing through the book and then I'll kind of comment, it, comment on it at the end. So then we switch to now. We have Sprite. And Genesis, who is who's Evan, fighting some cavemen. And Sprite's trying to tell Evan to lighten up. And she pitches him on the butt. Then we switch back to a little, a little flashback to the plane ride. And Wolverine's talking to Sprite and telling her to lighten up. And she says, my family is counting on me. My entire country is watching. I cannot let them down. All I wish is to become the greatest X-Man who has ever lived. Anything less would be a humiliating failure. Wolverine's like, yeah, but that's the thing. You're not an X-Man. You're just a student. If you want a legacy, I'm going to give you one. And he hands her, I guess, an iPhone. (laughs) And tells her to read up on the legacy of her code name, which, of course, we know Sprite used to be Kitty Pride's code name before she was Shadowcat. It's funny, it's Wolver- or not funny, it's cool. Wolverine says that um, it's the name of my favorite X-Man ever. That's pretty cool because, you know, we know about Wolverine and Kitty's relationship, kind of the the father-slash-big-brother figure he was to her. And it was pretty, as a long-time X-Man fan, a pretty special relationship. So it was cool that that, that gets uh, brought up. So then we see them fighting some more and and now in the Savage Land. And Dog's peering. He's hiding in the bushes watching them fight. Then we have iBoy, Kid Omega, or Quentin Quire, and Robert Herman, codenamed Glob. And we see what are these little, they're not Sentinels, but they look kind of like a cross between Sentinels and Robotech or, or the battle droids from Star Wars. The prequels. Anyway, they're running around and they're trying to figure out why they've been displaced in time. But they're going to kill these guys they see because the X-Men they know also should not be here. 
and then we get a voice off the edge and Dog comes in to save the day. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the Savage Land, we see some guys from the Old West. We meet the Iron Mask and his gang. Remember we saw some Easter eggs of him in the last issue. He was in that, that scene at the end where Dog was talking about his time diamonds, but remember in the flashback there was also a wanted poster of him in the saloon when Dog was hunting down Wolverine in Canada. So we see he's a he's a criminal from the old west and they're gonna try to figure out what's going on and what they can find to make trouble in the Savage Land. So we see Shark Girl and we see Wolverine talking to her that she is best to not be a loner. That he used to be that way. He goes, uh, a surly loner who struggles to control their feral side. Let me think now. Where have I seen that before? <laughs> and he's kind of smiling. It looks like he's eating. Can you know that's ice cream or Chinese food? Or no, he's stirring a coffee. Okay. So Wolverine stirred a coffee and Jara, I think is how you say that. Do- Dosentos, his shark girl. And he's trying to tell her that she can't be by herself. Then he says, let me show you what happens when you try to do things on your own. The family's not a weakness, it's a strength. And this is kind of surprising, but again, we'll get get to this at the end. He hands her at least a partial file of a vanilla folder that says Weapon X. And she kind of starts reading it and her eyes get kind of wide. Of course, the Old West guys have cornered Shark Girl, and she's like, Come on, you beep! I'll eat you and your horses! The guy tries, Iron Mask tries to question Shark Girl, and she says, Bite me! So then he headbutts her with his mask in the nose, which is funny because, you know, people always talk about, like, you gotta hit a shark in the nose if you're being attacked by one, so I thought that was a cool little thing. And he points a gun to her head, but then he gets hit in the back of the mask with a club of something and dog has has gathered all the students together and given them guns and he's going to teach them how to survive so we go back to wolverine and he's hacking at the tree that he's hanging from look at some more nice onomatopoeia some hack slice chop slash crack and he falls out of the tree but the rope is still on his neck (laughs) then he looks up he's like ah hell we get a boof as the giant tree lands on him and I like the cursing here. Uh, we have a little speech bubble, and inside of it, very... So, you know, I talked about um, Perez's art with the, the faculty that Kitty Pry was a little cartoonish, comic strippy. Well, this is that, but in a really good way, or a really funny way. The tree lands on Wolverine, and out from under the tree comes a speech bubble with a thunder, a dark storm cloud and a lightning bolt coming out of it. And that's the dialogue. So I thought that was pretty funny. Pretty funny way to show Wolverine cursing. So we go back and the students and dog are shooting up the place. They're taking care of the the time-displaced bad guys and having a pretty good go at it. Quentin Quire is speaking telepathically to the other students. He says he can't read dog's mind. There's some kind of shield, so he doesn't trust him. But he's helping, and they gave him guns, so, so far, so good. And only Evan, Genesis, is reluctant. He's like, uh, this isn't the way Wolverine would want us to do things. And uh, <laughs> Quentin Quire says, Keep your thoughts to yourself, kid, Killjoy. I'm shooting cowboys and robots with a laser shotgun. I've never felt more American. 
<laughs> yeah, thought that was pretty funny. And Dog tells Evan to quit using his powers. And Evan talks about, uh, he wants to know where Wolverine is. And Dog kind of calls him out. He says, you think Wolverine's going to teach you to be a hero? You might as well ask a moose a moose to teach you to fly. He ever tell you about our paw? And this part's interesting, because Evan's like, yes, he did. Wolvie, Dog says, Wolvie tell you he's the one who killed our paw? <laughs> and I was like, no, um, he didn't mention that part. And Dog basically says, yeah, I bet there's a lot he didn't tell you. So then we see Wolverine trying to eventually get the tree trunk off of him. We get a snit, and he's trying to cut through this rope, but he can't. Then he gets pulled up into the air, and giant T-Rex is, is playing with the rope and kind of <laughs> basically tossing Wolverine around. Uh, kind of like when my lab, Max, uh, picks up a rope bone or whatever and kind of shakes his head like he's got an animal. That's kind of what's like what the T-Rex is doing here. Then we see the leaders of the three groups. We have Iron Mask, the Droid Leader, and the Caveman Leader saying that they can't figure out why they're here and not in their own time, but they should band together and take out... Um, the Iron Mask calls them Captain Mustache and the Freak Show Kids. <laughs> okay, have I mentioned this issue yet that I really love um, Jason Aaron's sense of humor? Because I still do. Okay, so then we see they're still fighting and Dog is teaching them how to do things. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's got these kids working as a team. They're winning. They're enjoying their weapons. But then a guy, caveman, swings down right as... His dog is patting himself on the back and he swings down and kicks him in the head and knocks him out. And so th then they kind of overtake the X-Men and we have another uh, poke, poke <laughs> as they're poking dog with a stick. And Iron Mask wants them to get up. And so they want to know how they got here out of their own time into this strange, savage land. And the quick inquirer calls him Doggy Dog, which, which I thought was really funny. He's like, yeah, answer the question. And Dog's like, shut up, boy. Let me handle this. Quick inquirer says, right, you're clearly capable of doing that. And basically, inquirer just keeps uh, being obnoxious to Dog. And he says, what's this all about exactly? Some kind of family squabble, perhaps? Brother versus brother? You trying to show up your more famous sibling? And Dog tells him to shut up. He's like... Don't tell me you're actually jealous of Wolverine. That is seriously the saddest thing I've ever... And then Dog turns around and says, I said shut up! And he hits Quentin Quirer in the face pretty hard. Gives him a super punch. And we see a little flashback. And again, Perez's art in the flashback is awesome. It's basically um, Paul Logan about to hit Dog with young Dog with the belt. And it says, the worthless dog, that's all you are. No, Papa, don't hit me. That's all you'll ever be. And then so Dog now is standing over Quentin Quire's body, gone limp with blood on his fingers. He's like, a worthless dog. I'll show you who's a worthless dog. I'll show every last day of one of you. And to be continued. So that was pretty good. Um, moved pretty quick. Loss of action. Loss of humor. Like I said, the, there's some aspects of the cartoony art I don't like as much and some aspects that I really do like. And I do like Perez's Wolverine. So the art overall is pretty good. I think it's interesting that Aaron has kind of shown Wolverine that, or is showing, Wolverine is showing that 
he realizes he has to to act a little different, and he's kind of taking his role as professor the Professor X figure pretty seriously. And the fact that he's reaching out to these troubled because remember the the kids he took to the Savage Land are like the troubled students at the school, and he's really reaching out to them, re- reaching out to them, you know, showing Evan or telling Evan about his past, about his dad. You know, you can say, well, yeah, he left out the part where he killed him, but, you know, in the past, he he wouldn't have told anybody any of that. So the fact that he told Evan what he thought he needed to know to relate to, like, hey, it doesn't matter where you come from, it matters where you go. And maybe knowing that he killed his dad is important to that. Maybe it's not, I don't know. But... I I enjoyed Wolverine reaching out. I'm sure he didn't show Shark Girl all the Weapon X files, but again, it's probably selected portion of the truth. But the fact that he showed her that, I thought, you know, it's him reaching out. Him reaching out to Sprite. You know, we saw him last issue reaching out to, to Quentin Choir, trying to encourage him to live up to his potential. So Wolverine is taking his job as headmaster very seriously and you know, doing some things he would not have done before. But he knows it's kind of a new time for mutants, and he has to um, take on a different role. And it's it's cool to see him embrace it, but still be Wolverine. So, I thought that was handled really well. It was really enjoyable. Um, the issue was super fun. Just another, another fun chapter in this series. And... Um, Interesting to see. I'm sure Wolverine will have to come save his brother's butt and all the kids from the uh, the time displaced bad guys are okay. Uh, kind of hokey, but it works. And it's fun. So, overall, I'm going to give Wolverine and the X Men number 27. I'm going to keep the streak going with a three out of three claws. So, Wolverine and the X Men number 27. Super fun read. Three out of three claws. Okay, cool. Well, let's move on. Okay, so next up we have Uncanny Avengers number 5. Let the good times roll. This is written by Rick Remender. Pencils by Oliver Coppell. Mark Morales is the inker. Laura Martin and Larry Molinar is the colorist. Chris Elipoulos is the letterer. And the cover is by John Cassidy and Laura Martin. And the cover is pretty cool. It's basically just the bottom, I guess, third of it. It's just the Uncanny Avengers logo in yellow on a red background. And the top two-thirds is the most current lineup by Cassidy. It has uh, Captain America front and center, flanked by uh, Sunfire, Thor, Rogue, Havoc on one side, Wasp on his shoulder, and Wonder Man, Wolverine, and Scarlet Witch on the other side. Um, not super excited to see uh, Sunfire and Wonder Man on the cover, but we'll see what Remender does with them. I will reserve my judgment. So, basically, yeah, Copel's art. Uh, I've been, been enjoying Cassidy's art, but Copel does a, a fantastic job as usual here. So, really enjoying it, too. So, we have Acuba City under the North Pole. We have a scene of Pestilence giving birth. To two twins, a red twin and a black twin, Uriel and Iman. Uh, and apparently they were fathered by Lord Archangel. So apparently, uh, his pestilence got it on and she had twins. And they're going to be moved for safekeeping. 
Uh, we have Famine and, um, oh, what's his name? Genocide. Standing outside. Or is that war? One uh, <laughs> of the, one of the horsemen. No, no, war's right there. Okay, war's the big monster dude. All right, so we have the other three horsemen of the apocalypse standing outside the delivery room, and they're going to move the babies into a very nice, pretty nursery. <laughs> and they lay them down in their cribs, and we see a shadow hand start to reach for one of them. And uh, as all this is going on, kind of in the margins, we have a narrative talking about how this person narrating has tried in many different incarnations to stop the Apocalypse Twins from being born, but he's been unable to, and every try has just been more frustrating and more unsuccessful than the last, that he's outside the time stream, so we know it's a time traveler. The way Reminder describes it is pretty cool. Uh, a little above my head in a couple of parts, but um, it's pretty cool. But basically he says that, that whatever he's done, he's been a- unable to prevent their birth or their rise as Apocalypse Twins. He says, because no matter what happens, someone will take their place. The clone boy, which, and the true son, and the sister. Which, okay, so genocide is, because he complains that he's the heir of Apocalypse and they should be taking care of him. Okay, this is the part where reading a crap ton of comics over the last, I don't know, 20-something years comes back to bite me in the butt. I'm having trouble remembering... If genocide, is he the actual son of Apocalypse? I mean, or is he a clone like Evan? Because obviously the clone boy refers to Evan. And then there's the true son, which I'm assuming refers to genocide, but was he actually begat from Apocalypse, or was he still... It's kind of like a Mr. Sinister thing. I can't really remember. Um, and is Festivus his sister? Is that what's going on? Who's the sister? I'm confused. It's because I don't remember my my Apocalypse War completely. Even though it hasn't been that long since I've read it. Um, a lot of that happened in Uncanny X-Force. And it was really good. I'm just having trouble recalling it right this moment. <laughs> Little brain fart. But anyway, we see that this person is Kang. And he decided the only way to suit his needs and to get the future he wants is to take the Apocalypse Twins with him out into the time stream. He says, It must be you who ensure I never deal with the likes of you again. It will take much time and great patience. Fortunately, Kang is master of both. So remember... The bad guys in this book so far have been very uh, bad guy very super villainy. And Kang here is doing it again. He's like, Kang is master of both! Kind of silly, but really fun. So that was cool. I really like Coppell's Kang. I, his art in this book is really, really good. There's um, Rogue looks a hair young. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, I'm really digging the art in this book. Probably it's probably even a little more to my taste than Cassidy, and that's not, and it's not an either or position because Cassidy's good too. But I I really enjoy Coppell's art, always have. Um, so anyway, we switch to New York City. We have Wonder Man and Wasp flying around. Wonder Man has been re- reluctantly drawn 
to Avengers Mansion, and he and Wasp are going to handle the PR for the new Uncanny Avengers team that combines Avengers and X-Men. Of course, Wonder Man talks about, remember, I didn't read this story, but in that, the annual crossover last year or the year before, Wonder Man decided there shouldn't be Avengers anymore, and he tried to take them out. And I'm guessing, apparently, at the end of that, he decided to become a pacifist and use non-violence, because that's what he talks about here. I didn't actually read that. He says, I'm done punching things as a solution. All this fighting only serves to perpetuate chaos. Then we see a guy in the shadows. Would you mind knew more Avengers history? I probably would have recognized him sooner. I did not. There's a whole section of Avengers I didn't really like. <laughs> and Wonder Man was a huge part of that. Or not, I'm not like blaming him for it. It just happened to be during that time. And he's not a character I love. I'll say that up front. Anyway, they get to the mansion. And they walk in and, and Janet Wasp is talking about, uh, she says, we're through the looking glass here. Nothing quite like this has ever been attempted before. And basically he's talking about the Avengers and X-Men working together on, on one team, under one unit. And it's a new thing and it's groundbreaking and there's a lot of kinks and stuff to work out. But she says, what I expect from the X-Men or what I know about the X-Men, expect drama. And they walk in and Rogue has taken down the Avengers portrait and hung a portrait of Professor X in its place. And Wanda's like, you have to be joking. And Rogue just says, too far to the right. <laughs> and so Wasp is mad at Rogue for changing the paintings. And here's where Rogue looks super, she looks like she's like 15 in this, pic in this picture. But whatever. Um. And then Havoc comes downstairs to break the tension. He's like, Wasp, Wonder Man, welcome. Ah, Rogue, I see you got around to hanging the painting. Very good. But perhaps we could put Charles on the other wall to peacefully cohabitate with the other paintings? And she's like, sure. Let me know if you need suggestions on where you can stick it, Alex. <laughs> He's like, okay, sounds great. And thank you again. Thank you again for being so sociable all week. And he's got this like fake smile on his face as he's waving as Rogue walks off. I really like the way Revenger handles Alex Summers' havoc. I'm just gonna put that out front. I'm enjoying his interpretation of the character. Then he shakes, kind of overzealously shakes Wasp's hands and apologizes for Rogue that she's not dealing with the death of Charles Xavier very well and Overall, the attitude in the mansion is very tense with the X-Men and Avengers trying to live together. And he says, as a new PR team, you definitely have your work cut out for you. Then we switch over. Uh, well, Wonder Man says, if we can't pull it together in here, there's no chance we can do it out there. And we switch and Captain America is working out on some crazy gym bars that are all squiggled all over the place. And they're watching the news. The news is talking about um, that the Red Skull was using mind control. But even since the riots have ended, there have been more attacks on mutants. Three dead this week by perpetrators who had painted Red Skulls on their faces. And then there's a uh, little propaganda out by Honest John called the Honest John Perspective. And it's very anti-mutant. 
talking about how we must uh, humanity must bond together to defeat the mutants. And so we see, I like uh, Copel's version of Captain America doing all his, his workout. It kind of reminds me of, um, used to read, I haven't read it, I'm not reading the current incarnation. I might give it a try at some point. But I used to read uh, Youngblood back in the day. And this kind of reminds me of, of some of their like workout scenes. But it's cool. It, I mean that as a compliment. And uh, Scarlet Witch comes in and she's bitching about uh, Havoc being the face of the team. Captain America kind of ignores her and says, have Simon and Janet arrived? And she talks about how uh, their plan is to market the mutants to make the team more hip and kind of more sociable, a social media kind of thing. And even one of either Wonder Man or Janet, probably Janet, because her her past is being involved in the clothing line, that she's going to make a mutant-based clothing line based on their uniforms. And she's like, and Alex is agreeing with her. She just can't believe it. Scarlet Witch can't believe it. And Captain America's like, you don't approve? And she's like, it's crash and artificial. Not the kind of lasting change or message the world needs right now. The Avengers Unity Division, which again is her official name, needs a leader who will. And Steve's, Steve's putting his shirt on. And he says, he basically says that he knows how much Wanda wants to be the face of this team, but he can't. She can't. That she wants to both make up for her part of the past with the whole uh, age, not age of him. Um, or was it? Was it age of him? Marvel and their age of. Is that, but that, is that what it was called? House of M. House of M. Okay. That thing and the No More Mutants and the Avengers disassembled. Like, Captain America is is appreciative of her attempts to redeem herself. And he says that he knows she will redeem herself, but she can't be the face of the team. And she argues, but basically he kind of gets mad and then says, Yes, I'm deluding myself. You're right, Steve. After what I did, how can I expect anyone to trust me? And he says, give them time. But for now, maybe it's enough that I trust you, Wanda. And it looks like they're about to make out. Um, maybe we'll see. Is there going to be some romantic tension evolving between them? I'm not sure. Anyway, we switch to Tokyo, Japan. Um, <laughs> and the caption says, Shiro Yoshida is having one drink. It's just taken him a few years to finish it. <laughs> Basically says that once upon a time, Sunfire was the greatest hero of Japan. But now he's long forgotten. And then it talks about how he was one of the horsemen of Apocalypse. Then he worked for Apocalypse to get new legs, but he's never recovered. And he says he feels a calling. It says the Acuba Beacon... The Acuba... Acuba... Whatever. The Acuba Beacon calling him home. Home to serve the newly born Lord. So he feels compelled to like go back to Apocalypse. But Wolverine finds him. It says he can smell him from New York. The stench of cold sake and self-loathing. We have Wolverine in his cowboy boot, his western wear. Uh, which is, you know, one, one of the civilian looks for Wolverine. He's got boots, jeans, uh, the leather jacket with the fur collar and a cowboy hat. And um, I really like Copel's Wolverine. Um, always have. And we see the, the Sunfire is drunk as a skunk. You know, he, he accuses Wolverine of coming to get vengeance. 
Wolverine says, nah, I know what Apocalypse is mocking business can do to your mind. Of course, remember, he was the horseman of death for a while. He goes, I'm not here on a grudge. I'm here about work. <laughs> and this is kind of funny because he says, Sunfire's retired. Why do you people continue to invite me into your club no matter how often I express to you my content of it? Of course, if you remember, or if you don't remember, um, his uh, being a jerk to the X-Men in Giant Size X-Men number one and X-Men number 94, uh, you can go back to my past flashback episodes and hear all about that. Because uh, Sunfire is hated being a part of the X-Men and has told them to leave him alone. But they keep coming back to him. Why won't you leave me alone? And you can also hear my uh, disdain for Sunfire's character of the past. And Wolverine says, Well, I for one like the idea of having a walking atomic bomb with me. Plus, you say what you think. Blunt as hell without a single ounce of social grace. Rude is honest. Rude says what it's thinking. I trust Rude. And he grabs a bottle from Sunfire and pours it on the ground. <laughs> Here's some for my homies, he doesn't say. But probably thinks. Sunfire says, I'm too broken. I have too much pain. You can't understand. Then we get a nicely drawn flashback. And nicely colored, by the way. The colors in this book are fantastic. By Laura Martin and uh, what was the other guy? Larry Molinar. Both did a really good job on the colors. And we see Wolverine um, lying over Dawkins' body. And he tells Sunfire, he said, I just buried my son. Put him in the ground myself after I drowned him in a shallow pool. You ain't got him enough way on sorrow, bub. And he looks down. And he basically says that no matter what he thinks, Professor X believed in Sunfire, always believed that he would surprise the X-Men in a good way. He says... So here it is. Time to surprise me. I'm offer I'm offering you a place on an Avengers unit to fight for Xavier's ideas. He says, Professor X, he says, Chuck's dead, Shiro. And we got big trouble. Need you to fall in line. Need someone, need someone with your kind of raw power. Logan's son, I, I'm not sure. And he says, yeah, well, once you hear what the Red Skull has done to Chuck Xavier, you will be. So I think he knows that that he may Sunfire may have been a jerk and hated the X Men, but he's always had a certain amount of respect for Professor X, and wouldn't want to see him uh, desecrated like the Red School has done. So we go to Avengers Mansion, and Captain America is called a meeting, and Rogue takes umbrage with this. He's like, "I thought only the leader type called meetings. Isn't that the superhero etiquette?" Can any of us just call meetings whenever we want? Of course, Havoc, being ever the uh, humble leader, says, I hereby grant full meeting, meeting calling privileges to all. Go on, Steve, please. <laughs> so Captain America approaches the idea that maybe Rogue and Scarlet Witch should not attend the press conference that they're about to have to uh, address the Red Skull riots and the mutant hate crimes that are continuing in his name. And Scarlet Witch is offended and Rogue is like, fine by me. But Alex uh, calls a timeout. Oh, by the way, I really love the way Coppella draws Havoc. Just saying. I've been complimenting his art a lot, but it's really good. And he just, he nails Havoc, kind of the rough and gruff. He's got the 
kind of the unkempt hair and the, and the sideburns and the scruff. He looks really cool. He looks like the younger, more roguish brother of Scott Summers would look. You know, Scott's always like super clean cut. And he looks kind of like the younger brother who, I don't know, it just, it, it's a good look for him. And he says, we, we can't hide them. And Wonder Man pipes in. They'll use them against us in the press. And Havoc says, let them. I want complete transparency. People should always be trusted with the truth. We'll stand proudly together on that stage. Blemishes and all. We won't play politics. Then we see Havoc and Rogue in an uh, elevator. And Rogue says, wow, Summers, that was ballsy. <laughs> and he says, did Calf look pissed? <laughs> Um, and Rogue says, yeah, a bit. Like, he clearly isn't a fan of being given orders. And Havoc basically says, well, he put me in charge. He has to accept my judgment. And Havoc says, or Rogue says, you don't have to pretend in front of me. I can see your nerves. And Havoc says uh, that basically this job, he's going to do the best he can, but he feels a bit overwhelmed. I think he says... Um, Leading a very public division of the Avengers is a bit above my pay scale. And basically says that he does want to help people, but he also has an a little bit of an ulterior motive. And he wants to show Scott that he was wrong to give up on Xavier's dream. And he asks Rogue if that sounds petty. And she says, not to me, sugar. Which I emphasize the R because... He uh, remembers uh, not really going with the um, super thick accent with Rogue. Interesting take. She, normally she would say, not to me, sugar, S-U-G-A-H, but she actually enunciates sugar. Interesting. I am neither applauding nor complaining, just pointing it out. But she says, no matter how badly Scott broke his heart, referring to Professor X, I know that seeing you rise to this occasion, Charles would be so proud of you. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek, which I know she's been honing her powers and controlling them, so <laughs> we don't have to worry about having dying in the elevator. Oh, they're not in the elevator anymore, so we can't sing Love in the Elevator! Which we shouldn't anyway, because I can't sing that high. So we go to the press conference, and Captain America is a spokesman, or at least introducing it. Talks about kind of what the Red Skull did. Said his aim was to incite a war between man and mutant. He failed, but the crisis isn't over. To stand up to the challenge of healing these rifts, I'm proud to introduce to you the Avengers Unity Division. And of course, they're all standing behind him. Says, please join me in welcoming the chairman, codenamed Havoc. And he whispers his support to Havoc as Havoc walks by to the podium. And this is a really cool moment here. Um, Havoc has a flashback to, to Cyclops yelling at him about not taking the X-Men seriously enough. And it kind of just comes and goes. And to be true, Havoc has kind of always come and gone. <laughs> so Havoc in a really cool panel with a complete white background. And then of course in his black and white uniform. He's pulling off his mask. He says, we wear these things so people don't know who we are. But I want you to know exactly who I am. My name is Alex Summers. I'm a student of Professor Charles Xavier. 
This team is an embodiment of his simple dream of all people working together. A fight more important now than ever. Recently, the world saw my brother Scott infused with the power of a god. And while he tried to make a lasting change to fix what he saw as broken, no man can ever unilaterally take action or choose for so many. It is hubris. I never quite saw things as my brother did. And later, our views have diverged even further. I don't see myself as born into a mutant cult or religion. Having an X gene doesn't bond me to anyone. It doesn't define me. In fact, I see the very word mutant as divisive. Old thinking that serves to further separate us from our fellow man. We are all humans of one tribe. We are defined by our choices, not the makeup of our genes. So please don't call us mutants. The M word represents everything I hate. And uh, one of the members of the press says, Well, if you don't want to be called mutant, what should we all call you? And he looks over and kind of smirks and says, How about Alex? thought that part was really cool. Um, it speaks to both social issues past and present, which is something I've always enjoyed about X-Men books. And it's you know cool to see it in the Avengers book as well. Um, it just, I really, I thought it was very well written speech by Remender for Havoc to. Anyway, so this guy from the shadow steps up, and it's the Reaper, and he's apparently somehow Scarlet Witch brought him and Wonder Man back to life, and he's begrudging of that. He wants to die, but he can't, and so now he's gonna try to kill the Scarlet Witch so maybe he can finally die. So Wasp flies up to Havoc and says, or whispers, I don't know if she's whispering, or if it just looks like whispering because she's so tiny and her voice would be quiet at that point. <laughs> anyway, she says, now's a good time to do your first big battle cry. And so Havoc yells, Avengers Assemble! Wolverine. And he's like, got it. I got just the thing. And we get a really awesome panel of him jumping off of the platform. And we get a double snicked in the air. That's cool. That's a cool... Yeah, I like that a lot. That makes me very happy as a Wolverine fan. And he tackles the Reaper. But then the Reaper sticks his blade in Wolverine's ear. And we're made aware there's no adamantium between Wolverine's ear and brain. And his sky somehow is able to scramble Wolverine's mind. I'm not, I don't really know the Reaper's powers all that well. But, um, I didn't even know he was Wonder Man's brother, to be honest. But, um, Captain America throws a shield at the Grim Reaper, but this does no good as he shoots something out of his, his guide. So he's basically taking care of the Avengers. Sunfire says, well, me and you can take him out together, Wonder Man. But Wonder Man says, nope, I'm not fighting. So then he gets stabbed by the Grim Reaper. And Wonder Man tries to appeal to his brother. He goes, I can help you use your new life for something meaningful. And he goes, meaningful, perhaps I should join you in serving the witch who conjured us. If that is a useful life you offer me, I decline, brother. And Rogue tries to steal his powers, but she can't. He says, the Reaper says, my strength is born of technology. And she hits Rogue in the, or he hits Rogue in the face. You can't steal it, succubus. And then he walks alone over to the Scarlet Witch. 
and he's about to kill her. But Rogue says, if you won't fight, I'll, Wonder Man, I'll steal your powers. And Wonder Man says, it hasn't worked well in the past. And Rogue says, I've been practicing. And we see a really nice scene of the Grim Reaper holding Scarlet Witch, about to kill her with the sky. And then the Rogue jumps up and she punches him with Wonder Man's power. And we get a nice crack. And then he's hanging off the, the edge of the platform and um, looks like his neck is broke. I thought he tried to kill himself and couldn't, but maybe Wonder Man could? I don't really know. I'm going to have to take Reminder's word for it. Or maybe he's not really dead. Maybe his neck isn't really broke, but it sure looks that way. I guess we'll find out next issue. Because this is the last page, folks. But Rogue is shocked. He's like, he, he's, I barely hit him. And Wonder Man walks up, Eric? And Rogue turns to him. I, I didn't. I didn't mean to. I had no idea you were, you were that strong. I. And then she turns, and all the media are. There's cameras on her, microphone. She's like, I barely hit him. And her fists are glowing with Wonder Man's ionic power. Which I don't really know what that is. <laughs> I am not an Avengers historian, so I apologize. I really kind of, I liked the Avengers like in the early '80s. Right, the George Perez days. And then kind of got out of the Avengers and didn't really buy anything except for like that one time they crossed over with the X-Men. When uh, back when Andy Kubert was doing the X-Men. And that was kind of a cool crossover, I guess. And I didn't really get interested in the Avengers again until Bendis came along. So so I don't know a whole lot about Wonder Man. I, what I've read in the past, I have not enjoyed very much. And I don't really know his powers. But apparently Rogue underestimated them and uh, broke his brother's neck and did it all on camera in a, for the press conference. So it's going to be all over the news. And that's where we drop off. So, wow. I got to say, yeah, wow. This issue was very wow. I super enjoyed it. Um... Jury still out for me on whether I'm going to like Remender's version of Sunfire and Wonder Man, whether those characters will be able to grow on me or not. Um, go in with kind of a negative view of both of them, but they're both okay in this book. Ooh, voice cracked. They're both all right in this issue. Um, yeah, but the art was fantastic. And I really, really, really like the way Remender is writing Alex Summers. Like, he to me has always been a character. It's been really cool, but underused, and you know he was—he was cool in X Factor, and I—I I liked that. But I'm glad to see him back, like in the forefront. Like he, as an X Men fan, and enjoying the legacy of the X Men and their history. You know, obviously Wolverine's my favorite. And so, with kind of the, the schism and post-schism and even the current situation, I don't necessarily love everything about Scott Summers, but I've always found him a compelling character. And considered him one of the most important Marvel characters. I always kind of felt like some writers tried to make Havoc as his brother be as important or almost as important, and some writers kind of played it down, and some writers just forgot about him or chose not to use him. I'm really enjoying Remender kind of bringing, 
I mean, assuming, I don't know if people are seeing this book as one of the flagships of Marvel now or not. I am. And to see Reminder put Havoc at the front of this team is really cool to me. I'm really liking it. I'm just liking the way Reminder uses his character traits, like his personality. So not only like his importance, but just the way he's making him behave and talk, I really, really like. I feel like he's nailing Havoc completely. So that's really cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed the art. The colors were awesome. The letters were pretty cool. What did I say? Kofeld didn't ink this, did he? No, Morales. Mark Morales did. Just good job, the whole board across the team. Um, hey, right, so, I don't know if Kofeld's just filling in or if him and uh, Cassidy are going to switch off. Like them both, probably like Kofeld a little bit better. I think it fits the style of the book a little better, personally. Um, just my personal opinion. It's a little bigger, a little more modern looking. I just, I really like it. Yeah, book was super fun. The story was great. Uh, we have the setup for the apocalypse twin stuff. Kang, I can take or leave, but I'm, I'm interested to see what he does. We have lots of good action with the, the Grim Reaper coming to attack. And then we got lots of like interpersonal development. We have Wonder Man and Wasp coming in. Uh, we have the scene between Wolverine and Sunfire. We have um, some question mark romance. Not romance. Between, uh, we got Captain America and Scarlet Witch. Of course, Wonder Man says the only reason he's here is because he has a crush on the Scarlet Witch and because she asked him to help. Or basically. And then Rogue and Havoc, maybe? Something might come down the line on that. So, very interesting. What, you know, this book reminded me a lot of like a, a Claremont in some ways. Just good action, good story, some some threads weaving in the background, and then some nice team drama. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe some men would be uh, hesitant to admit this, but I'm perfectly willing to admit, you know, I had a lot of friends in college who got really, really into wrestling. Pro wrestling. That was back when Monday Night Raw was huge. And I watched a little bit of it just to hang out with friends. It was never really completely my thing. I always kind of told them that I thought uh, wrestling for them was like the male acceptable version of soap operas. And I'm perfectly willing to admit, and I said that out of fun and love <laughs> for my friends, but I'm perfectly willing to admit, regardless of how manly it is or isn't, the comic books are kind of fill the same role as like a really cool action-packed soap opera. <laughs> I don't necessarily want it to always be super sappy like soap operas, but you know, it kind of fills that same serial thing. It's just as high action, but you enjoy it when there's some drama involved, some human drama, and even some drama drama. And this issue captures all of that. I just thought thought it was really good. Maybe even my favorite issue of the series so far. And I really enjoyed the first four. But um, yeah, I, it was just it was really cool. Really enjoyed it. So I'll, I'll leave that there. Just great job by Remender, Copel and company, the whole team, Morales, Martin. And I leave anybody out. I don't want to. Molinar. Also helped Laura Martin do the colors. They both did a good job. Elliot Polios. Just a great book. 
all the way around by everybody that contributed. So I'm going to give Uncanny Avengers number five, three out of three claws. Sweet. Okay, so next we're going to look at the first two parts of the Extermination crossover. Uh, that's going to be Extermination Book 1 and Astonishing X-Men number 60. And this whole kit and caboodle, uh, the overall story is by the, the writers of, the, of all the books that it kind of occurs in. That being... Um, Astonishing X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, and Extreme X-Men. And those writers are David Lapham, Marjorie Liu, and Greg Pak. Or Pak, I'm not sure. I'm going to go with Pak. And so they uh, kind of all got together for the overall story, and then different writers would take different chapters. All right, so part one is Extermination, number one. This particular part is written by David Lapham. With art by Dave, I'm sorry, pencils by David Lopez. The inkers are Alvaro Lopez and Alan Martinez. The colorist is Andre Mosa. The letters are by Chris Eliopoulos. And the, the cover is by Ed McGinnis and Maury Hallwell. And this cover is pretty sweet. It has a Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler. And the nice purple, dark purple bamp cloud behind him. And he's fighting with Wolverine. And he's stuck a sword through Wolverine's bicep. And Wolverine has also cut his other sword with his claws. And the colors are super nice. I really dig the colors on this. The, uh, the smoke looks awesome. And you know, McGinnis is a, he's a great artist. And this is a great cover. Of Wolverine and Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler going at it. No holds barred. They're just stabbing at each other and cutting each other. Top notch cover. Right, so then we start off with our uh, multiverse. Talking about the experiment went wrong. It was a disaster really. An absolute disaster. To save creation reality was copied and divided. Walls were erected. And they say there's 52 worlds I'm closing the book. <laughs> but they know. But basically we're introduced to the multiverse. There's copies of the universe. And these copies were divided, I guess, by the celestials. And it was to preserve uh, reality. I guess so in case one got messed up, they could just have, they'd have a backup. <laughs> Old thing feels kind of DC-ish, but... I mean, Marvel has a multiverse, too. They've always had different dimensions. So, that's okay. But anyway, the walls between the realities are cracking. Kind of final crisis -y. I don't know. I'm going to try to keep the DC comparisons to a mom. And I'm not one of those guys that like Marvel or DC. I'm Marvel and DC, so I like DC stuff, too. Particularly the Bat books. But, um, I don't know. This thing feels a little... Familiar. <laughs> then we go to New York City and we see a crack in the blackness and it makes a door frame and it gets kicked down. And it's our astonishing X-Men team. So anyway, they've tracked down a, a secret lab of the Dark Beast, which of course is also from the Age of Apocalypse dimension. And he, an AOA Nightcrawler, had been there not that long before, according to the uh, 
Wolverine's tracking senses and Karma's mental abilities. And of course Wolverine reminds the team not to call him Nightcrawler. He's not our Nightcrawler. He may look the same but he's not the same and Wolverine gave him the benefit of a doubt because of his appearance or was tricked by his appearance and betrayed by him. And the reality is this. This Kurt looks like our old friend but he's not. It clouded my judgment and he ended up selling me out. And that makes him and everything he does from here on out my responsibility. Kind of recaps uh, the end of Astonishing X-Men number 59. So you get Wolverine's kind of overall attitude. And he says, even if this Nightcrawler doesn't have anything benevolent towards our world, he doesn't care about it and that's just as dangerous. Dark Beast is also very dangerous. Though it's what's San Francisco... Of course, we know it's in San Francisco. And Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler has come to meet Dark Beast at the Dreaming Celestial. And they're going to teleport inside of his body to figure out a way to get back to their home dimension. And of course, Dark Beast is kind of been going back and forth. But he says the usual methods of interdimensional travel have been cut off from him. So he needs... Nightcrawler's ability with the ins- inside guts of the Dreaming Celestial to make it back home. They go inside into the cosmic energies and Dark Beast kind of explains that you'll see what your mind makes up. And he tells Nightcrawler that the energy is not stable yet and they need to wait. And then something goes weird with the energy and Beast says he's going to have to shut it down. And Nightcrawler says no and he puts a sword up to his throat. And tells him to back off. And then Dark Beast says, come outside. Oh, you have a lot to answer for. And so Nightcrawler knows it's the X-Men. So he teleports out and does a nice rocket high kick. <laughs> His feet even looks like a high heel shoe. And he kicks Karma in the face. Then he teleports around, taking out the different X-Men. And he gets to Wolverine. But Northstar tackles him. And then we get a nice snick. As Wolverine has AOA Nightcrawler by the shirt. And he's hovering over him. He's got one hand with his claws out. And then we find out that AOA Nightcrawler has a death wish. He says, Linda, I'm coming home. But then the Celestial blows up. And energy escapes from it. And while the X-Men are distracted by this, the exploding energy out of the Dreaming Celestial's chest... Nightcrawler teleports back inside and takes Dark Beast through the portal to New Apocalypse. And he, Nightcrawler asks for the portal to close by itself and Beast rips him a new one saying they made a huge mistake. And he, we find out that the Age of Apocalypse X-Men are dead. And Nightcrawler is depressed. He meets some guy named Prophet. And we meet a bunch of people I don't know and they've captured Dark Beast. But then the astonishing X-Men come through which... How do they get inside the Dreaming Celestial? There's nobody on this team that can magically get them in there. Maybe there was a hole left in the chest and they... Maybe none of them can fly. So, alright. There's a hole in the Celestial's chest. Iceman makes a big ice bridge up to it. And they all go inside. And then they that's how they can jump to the portal. And they grab Nightcrawler and there's a standoff. Between the two teams of X-Men. And then the extreme X-Men hop out of a portal. And I don't really know what's going on with them either. I didn't even know until I read this. That Dazzler and Sage and Hercules. All from our universe are part of this team. They have Professor X's head in a bubble. Which is kind of funny. 
then Young Nightcrawler with a cool shirt and Civil War Black Cyclops and Wolverine Howlett is his name. So he never went by any other names. Other stuff happened to him. He has gold claws. They all argue and get reacquainted with each other. Professor X's bobblehead tries to close the dimension, but he can't. These monsters come through, and they crack the glass ball and kill Professor X's head, and they disintegrate him, and they draw they draw life energy. So they get bigger, these monster things, and all the X-Men are squaring off against the new threat. All right, I'll talk specifically about this issue, um, about the art. And I'll talk about the writing after the two are over, because the art changes. Uh, the art's pretty good. It kind of it's kind of manga-ish. Not no manga is not exactly like the comic. It's kind of anime-ish. It was, I felt like I was watching a Dragon Ball Z cartoon the whole time. But it wasn't bad. It just definitely has that flavor to it. Yeah. So that's that's the art. All right. So Astonishing X Men number sixty. This part is written by Marjorie Liu. With Matteo Bafagni and Renato Arlim are the artists. Christopher Sotomayor and Lee Luffridge are the color artist. VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And then the cover is by Giuseppe Camancoli with Cam Smith and Rain Veredo. And there's a Phil Noto variant cover. Well, I have the Camancoli cover and it is awesome. First of all, I'm, I'm a fan of his anyway. And then we have Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler kind of teleporting again, similar to the, the previous cover. We have Dark Beast on one side, then Gambit, Iceman, and Karma on the other side. But it's really cool because his eyes, Nightcrawler's eyes are glowing, and the smoke is kind of coming in and out of his mouth as well. It, just, it looks really cool, and his body's kind of coming in and out of the smoke. It's a fantastic cover. I... I like the Ed McGinnis one a lot, to Extermination Part 1. I think I like this one a little better, but they're both freaking awesome. But this one is one of the best covers in a while. If Wolverine was on the cover, I would I would nominate this to one of the best Wolverine covers of the year. But he's not, so whatever. But it's just a really kick-ass cover. So we find out that these, are being, these beings that came through the portal are beings of darkness. The Celestials had, had closed off all the realities and separated, and the walls are breaking, so these the darkness is getting loose. Alright, so all the different X-Men try to fight them. The Age of Apocalypse guys, they're going to hang back and let the other guys see what they can do, which doesn't end up being much. And every time they fight them, they just get stronger and bigger. We have a nice panel Wolverine kind of getting his arm burned off so we see his muscle but of course they're losing North Star saves Howlett and our Wolverine who are both down to, to muscle and skin Gambit threatens Dark Beast but it doesn't really matter Karma tries to read their mind while they're they're a little bit weaker but they just end up controlling her and talking about how they're going to destroy everything Iceman's ice hurts them a little bit we have a weird picture of, of skinny skinned Wolverine and like his, his, all his left of his uniform is a loincloth and a collar. So apparently the ice slows these guys down a little bit. Young Nightcrawler tries to get friendly. Extreme Young Nightcrawler tries to get friendly with AOA Nightcrawler. And he's having nothing to do with it. Wolverine, our Wolverine threatens Prophet. Says they all gotta work together. 
the bad guys go through the portal. I thought it was to our Earth, but I think it's just to the extreme X-Men Earth. So the X-Men decide they're going to split up all the different teams, go different places, um, blah, blah, blah. Some fighting happens. They split up. And Dark Beast says they have to go find the, uh, not the creation seed, what's it? The seed of life? The apocalypse seed. They're going to go get it, and that's the only way they can stop these creatures. Alright, so the two art teams are very different. They're both pretty good. Yeah, they're both pretty good. Alright, so the story overall, it's really hard for me. I wasn't looking forward to it at all. The story in and of itself is okay. Like I said, the whole thing has a very DC multiverse, 52 worlds thing to feel to it. This is, I guess neither good nor bad. It just, I guess this is the X-Men version of it. And I don't really knowing these characters. I'm not reading Extreme X-Men or Age of Apocalypse. And they weren't really that compelling to me. So the story was not... It's not that it was written poorly. I just don't care. Um, I was glad to see uh, Nightcrawler betray the team in X-Force and kind of disappear. I was hoping that would kind of be the end of it. I knew it wouldn't. Because, of course, Wolverine's going to have to track him down. And honestly, I kind of wish this story was just that. Like, I'd prefer it was just a story of Wolverine tracking down Nightcrawler. Maybe they come to an understanding. Maybe they don't. Maybe Wolverine kills him. Maybe he escapes back to his own dimension never to be seen again I'm not very interested in all these different teams from different dimensions coming together to try to save the multiverse this does not have very much appeal to me and like I said a lot of these characters I didn't know in reading these first two chapters I don't care so yeah just not it's not bad it's just not interesting <laughs> um but the covers are freaking awesome. Both of them. Uh, Extermination Part 1 and Astonishing X-Men Number 60. Both have awesome covers. But I'm not into the story at all. So I'm going to give both Extermination Part 1 and Astonishing X-Men Number 60. Their covers are 3 out of 3 claws. But I'm going to give both issues 1 out of 3 claws. Uh, just not really doing it for me. But... Maybe it'll get better, or maybe, you know, it's just not my thing, and that's okay. Other people seem to be enjoying those other two books, so maybe they're really digging this story. But anyway, I give overall, in spite of the awesome covers, I give Extermination Part Book 1 and Astonishing X-Men number 60 one mm -hmm. out of three claws. Alright, moving on. Now it is time for Age of Ultron. Alright, so we have Age of Ultron, book three. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Penciled by Brian Hitch. Inker is Paul Neary. Colorist is Paul Mounts. VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. And then Hitch, Neary, and Mounts did the cover. And again, there was a variant cover by Inhunk Lee and Rocky Kim. I had the Hitch cover. It's not bad. It's Luke Cage holding She-Hulk's body inside a circle of floating Ultrons. Alright, so we start off, Luke Cage and She-Hulk are talking about a plan to fight each other out in the open and attract Ultron's attention. Then we go back underground an hour ago, and Spider-Man is finding out all the people that have been lost, Cyclops, Thing, 
Thor and Wolverine laments Hulk being gone. He turns to Luke. Jessica and the baby are dead. And we go back to the present. And we are just for a flash. And we see Luke carrying She-Hulk and he's crying. And then we... So Captain America's plan is... If Ultron is giving protection for turning in heroes... Then they're going to offer up one of their own and try to get them inside to be a mole. Try to figure out some kind of weakness, some kind of strategy. Iron Man says it won't work. It's not a plan. It's only half a plan. Uh, Hawkeye gets over on Iron Man for defending Hank Pym. He says, because Iron Man says it wasn't Pym's fault that Ultron did all this. And Hawkeye says, it's not Hank Pym's fault for creating Ultron? Whose is it? It's not my fault. It's not his fault. Pointing to either Captain America or Spider-Man, I'm not sure. It ain't her fault. Whose fault do we think it? Okay, okay, Iron Man says. I don't get you at all, Stark. I go out to save Spidey's butt. You You all act like I'm taking a dump in the pool. Pym invents the thing that shuts down the world, does all this. And you're all, well, he didn't mean it. Captain America says, no, focus on the plan. And Wolverine says the plan is ballsy. And they decide that it's got to be somebody indestructible. So Luke Cage and She-Hulk simultaneously volunteer. They kind of argue a little bit. So they decide that She-Hulk will go. And Wolverine says, well, I'm going to, I'll trade her. Captain America's like, no, you're made out of adamantium. Or your bones have adamantium. Ultron is built from adamantium. The moment he sees you, he's going to take you apart and use you for spare parts. And Iron Man agrees. And Wolverine says, you two agree with each other. It is the end of the world. Uh, uh, uh. All right. So then um, we can go back to Luke Cage carrying around She-Hulk. And the Ultrons find him. He says he wants to trade. Then we can go briefly to Chicago. We have Taskmaster, Red Hulk, and Black Panther. And they see an Ultron. Red Hulk goes and gets it and rips off its head. It has like a robotic spine. And he jumps back, but other Ultrons saw him and found him. He tosses the head to Black Panther and fights the Ultrons. Uh, Black Panther and Taskmaster get kind of knocked away by an explosion. And they land, but uh, Black Panther cracks, breaks his neck. He's dead. So Taskmaster grabs the Ultron head and runs off. So back to New York, we get Luke Cage saying sweet Christmas for all the old school Luke Cage fans. So the Ultron's leading it inside the big center that he was marveling at, the big Ultron center. And okay, real time out real fast, because I kind of say in my show notes and don't always remember to say in the episode that this, I mean, the format of this show is kind of spoiler by nature. This is a big one, so if you don't want to know how this book ends and you haven't read it yet, stop listening. Fast forward a little bit. Because Luke discovers that at the center of all of this, there's a floating robot. But it's not Ultron. It's Vision. Alright, that's pretty much it. Um, Hey, the twist was cool. The book was not that cool. (laughs) Um, Still kind of, I don't know, a little bit confused about the story. The dialogue was better. Well, the dialogue's been good. The story moved along a little better. And the twist is, is pretty interesting. I'm interested to see how this plays out. So, overall, the art is still kind of okay to me. I still think Hitch is overrated. But, um, 
That's just my personal thing. Nothing. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I know he works really hard, so I sure couldn't do it. But anyway, overall, I'm going to give Age of Ultron book number three, two out of three claws. The twist and the interaction makes it better than the first two books, but I'm not super excited about it either. I'm, I'm definitely more intrigued, and that's considering that I was bored. Intrigued is good. Any level of intrigued. So, there you go. Alright, real fast, going to cover the Superior Spider-Man 6AU. This is written by Christus Gage with art by Dexter Soy. The cover is by Marco Caquetto. The letter is VC's Joe Caramagna. And basically, uh, this answers the question that the Spider-Man we have is the Superior Spider-Man. Not sure why he's in the old costume, but he just is. It was hard to tell in this. See, in this one, he's not. See, I think what I think happened, <laughs> editorially speaking, is I think Age of Ultron, they started that a long time ago. And I think when Hitch first started drawing it, they didn't know there was going to be a superior Spider-Man. And so he didn't draw the subtle nuances and the differences in the costume. So we're just going to have to kind of overlook that and buy it, I guess. It really confused me at first, but whatever. Now we know that it is Superior Spider-Man. It's Dr. Octopus inside Peter, Peter's body. So he's mad. He feels like no robot should be getting the best of him. He basically gives a page synopsis of, of who he is and how he got there. Tony Stark comes up to him and says they have a plan. They have a machine that sends things to the negative zone when he needs some technology from Horizon Labs. And he knows Spider-Man used to work there. So they're going to break in and Quicksilver takes him. But when he gets there, he decides to activate his spider eyes. The Ultrons realize it. They come to get him. And the spider eyes attach themselves to him. We have some really nice action scenes. Art's really, really good. That is pretty fantastic. Some of it is a little bit reminiscent of Pat Lee, but it's just, it's awesome. It's really good. So we got lots of Spider-Man action. Then the spider droid uh, eyes attached to the Ultron robots, and he's able to control them. But then he gets sabotaged by Ultron, and he loses, and he fails, and it, Horizon Labs is blown up. He meets Iron Man and Quicksilver. And he fails, and he's sorry, but he realizes that he needs teammates. Basically, the whole gist of, um, he says, Death cannot be cheated, but with the right people at your side, it can be defeated. So basically, this is kind of his coming around on needing other people's help. I pretty much only talked about A, because it answered my question about Spider-Man, and B, because Wolverine kind of stands around in it. So it's technically a Wolverine appearance. He doesn't really do anything. He's just in the background a little bit. But uh, it was really cool. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, all things considered. So far, it's my favorite. It's not really, I guess, a chapter of Age of Ultron. It's a tie-in. But so far, it's my favorite Age of Ultron issue. <laughs> Christus Gage wrote a good story. We got... He nailed the Superior Spider-Man. Did a really good job um, with the Peter... Otto and Peter's body wrestling with Peter's conscious thing. It worked really well. And the art was just fantastic. Great action, great art. Now I'm going to give Superior Spider-Man 6AU, which stands for Age of Ultron, obviously. I'm going to give it 3 out of 3 claws. Oh, the cover also is really awesome. With the, um, 
the Kaketo cover is all like reddish looking and kind of digital. And then Spider-Man's in the middle of the wrecked New York of the rubble. So it's also an awesome cover. But anyway, uh, Superior Spider-Man 6AU gets 3 out of 3 claws. If the rest of Age of Ultron was that interesting and that action-packed, I'd be liking it a lot more. But anyway, maybe it'll get that way. We'll see. All right, we're going to get out of the Age of Ultron. Shutting down. <laughs> anyway. All right, so our last segment of the month will be Where's Logan? we got two things to talk about. The first one is going to be Cable and X-Force number six. This is written by Dennis Hopeless. Art by Salvador LaRocca. The colorist is Frank Diamarda. The letterer is VC's Joe Sabina. Or Sabina, I'm not sure. And the cover is, of course, by LaRocca and Diamarda. And the cover is really freaking sweet. It's Colossus as prisoner, all chained up in his metal form. Of course, his, his frown is awesome, and these giant chains he's in are pretty sweet. Just, it's a really, really top-notch cover. Pretty sweet. If you haven't, if you're not reading this book, you should at least go look up the cover. Because if you're a Colossus fan at all, it's really, really nice. Hey, so speaking of Colossus, and... <laughs> Speaking of Wolverine, we go to the we open up in the raft, which is Marvel's maximum security super prison, and Wolverine is helping escort, as an Avenger, he's helping escort Colossus to his cell. Uh, Wolverine says, "I said take those cuffs off him. The man turned himself in. No need to parade him through here all trussed up in shackles." And the guard says, "Oh no, we can't do that." <laughs> No exceptions. And Wolverine's like, that right? And we get our snicked. And he cuts the handcuffs off. And he's like, well, this pair broke. <laughs> and I gotta say, um, LaRocca, um, everybody, he, all his heroes are like super muscly, usually. And I, I've said before, I don't always like that look with Wolverine where his clothes are super tight and you can see every bulging muscle. But um, I do like LaRocca's Wolverine, and I love his facial expressions and hair. Like the hair and the facial hair, LaRocca nails that for sure on Wolverine. I've always really enjoyed that. So just kind of, it's a treat to see him draw Wolverine, especially uh, having a conversation with Colossus where we get to see different facial expressions and stuff. It was really, really cool. So basically Wolverine's trying to talk Colossus out of what he's doing as he, he takes Colossus to his cell. And of course we still see Colossus' powers are still wonky. The metal kind of shifting around his body. Colossus said that he's glad Wolverine came to see him. Wolverine says, makes one of us, this is stupid. <laughs> Colossus says that he had to come, he had to turn himself in. He said, this is where I belong. Wolverine says, who are you talking to? All this blood I got on my hands, some of it fairly fresh. And you expect me to believe you're the one belongs in the sink? I'm sorry, in the clink. And Colossus says a cool line here. He says, this prison is much nicer than the one I've been carrying with me. And Wolverine says, yeah, give it a couple weeks. And Colossus says he needs to stand trial to let someone else decide what he owes so he can start to make amends. 
Wolverine has a really nice scowl. He says he gets it. He says, you want to own up to that Phoenix nonsense. Show the world you're not proud of what you did. You're not like Scott or your sister. Problem is, it's hard to prosecute a guy for being possessed by a big alien firebird. You'll get your trial, but it'll be all about you, Cable, and X-Force killing a bunch of factory workers. Unit terrorism. Now there's a crime that can wrap all the way around your neck. Klaus says he's not going to explain it. He's going to... Not going to uh, rat out Cable and the guys. He says, Wolverine tells him, You're in a cage. Cable and the rest are being hunted. I get this is loyalty, but keeping quiet now doesn't make any damn sense. And Colossus protests that they didn't mean to hurt anybody. But he still has to take responsibility for it. Wolverine frowns and looks sad. He says, They'll throw away the key, Pete. That's how this ends. Then we see Cable and Forge and Dr. Nemesis breaking into a sword facility. Then Kitty is sneaking in some art supplies into Colossus' cell. She leaves him a letter because she can't face him face to face. But she wanted him to know that she was thinking about him. She said that when, when Wolverine came to visit, she was there, but she couldn't get out of the jet. She couldn't bear to see him, especially after their Phoenix quote-unquote date. Um, she says, Last night I phased in after hours and watched you sweep for a while like a total creep. Feels like we spent half our lives trying to move on from us. Now that it's starting to stick, I don't know how to see you. At least not in here, not yet. But I bought you all this art stuff I wanted to bring and it's not fair to sneak it in without some kind of explanation. I don't have one emotion about all this. I have like 50. I'm proud of you for turning yourself in. I'm optimistic you can find some peace in here. It's been so long since you've had that. I'm furious you did the things they say you did. I'm sure how to reconcile the you I know with the you I read about. I'm still trying to forgive you for that Phoenix Force date, date or whatever it was. And she phases out. Then Domino and Boom Boom sneak into the raft. They're after something. Domino stops by to say hi to Colossus. He doesn't want her to break him out, but she's not going to. She just came to say hi. Of course, remember they had a little tryst a couple issues ago, or maybe last issue, I don't remember. Uh, we didn't talk about it on here because Wolverine wasn't in it. But then got it on, and um, they kind of have a burgeoning possible romance here. And so Domino just came to say hi, visit her boyfriend in prison. <laughs> They're not really boyfriend and girlfriend yet. They might be later, I don't know. Anyway, Boom Boom um, finds this six-armed alien-looking dude, and they're going to break him out. And then Cyclops, Forge, and Dr. Nemesis get attacked, leaving the sword facility by a walkie optic blast. Remember, Cyclops' powers are out of control. So Cable says, all right, go to the rendezvous. I'll take care of this. And he says, what do you want, Scott? And on the last page, a full-page splash, we have... An awesome picture of Cyclops. It says, not a whole lot. Just a little chat with my son. Alright, so this book, the art. Minus some of the over-muscleness. But you know what? I'm fine with that, really. It, you know. Whatever. As much as you kind of draw the women like in bikinis and stuff. If they want to make the the guys super muscly that's, and wearing really tight uniforms. I can, I can live with that. It makes it fair. But anyway, I thought the art was really good in this issue, but I like, I'm a, I'm a LaRocca fan, so that's no big surprise there. The story, um, I thought the interactions 
between Colossus and Wolverine were fantastic. Uh, I feel like Hopeless actually got both of those characters really, really right and got their relationship really, really right. I remember, I mean, Colossus and Nightcrawler are kind of Wolverine's two oldest friends on the X-Men. So they have a very deep relationship, very deep friendship, and so we haven't seen that expressed in a while with Wolverine, so it's, it's cool to see him, that he's the one that came to visit Colossus when he got to the raft, to kind of escort him in, to kind of have a chat with him. It was it was really nice. The part with uh, Kenny Pride in Colossus was also really good. I feel like Hope was nailed that. And the last scene, anticipation of next issue with uh, Cyclops and Cable talking to each other. That sounds pretty cool too. Looking forward to that. Alright, all the stuff in between are just kind of okay. I know, I'm assuming it's setting something up and we don't know what it is yet. We'll just have to wait and see. But as of this point, not knowing what it leads to, it wasn't all that interesting. So you had... Some really cool dialogue interspersed with some kind of lame action. So I'm going to say, you know, the character development and the, the inter- interaction between uh, Colossus and Wolverine, Colossus, Kitty, and the, the coming upcoming conversation between Cyclops and Cable. I give all that three out of three claws. I give the rest of the book, the little missions, uh, one out of three claws. So I'm going to average it out and give Cable and X-Force number six, two out of three claws. I'm definitely interested in number seven. I really want to see what Cyclops has to say to Cable. All right, so up next we have A plus X number six. It is always have a pretty funny title page that basically ends up asking if this comic is going to taste like cheese. We have two stories. The first one that concerns us is Captain Marvel and Wolverine, written by Peter David, Giuseppe Camincoli, and Michelle Benevento are the artist, Dan Brown and Andre Mosa are the colorist, VCs Clayton Cowles or Coles is the letter, and the cover is by, um, well, it's by Camincoli, and then just Cam, I don't see a credit. Uh, I'm going to say it's just Kevin Coy because I know he inks himself sometimes so I'm going to say he probably did this anyway it's a really nice cover you got a full moon and Captain Marvel and Wolverine jumping out of the night sky um, and just, I enjoy Kevin Coy's art a lot so it's really good Wolverine has his claws out and he's, he's definitely like pouncing on somebody Captain Marvel actually looks kind of worried, I, I think, a little bit, but she's still wetted by the moon. It's a really, really nice cover. I actually like it quite a bit. We've had, we've had a bunch of really good covers this episode. This is right up there. Anyway, um, so it starts off in Avengers Tower, and Wolverine and Captain Marvel are playing cards, and Hawkeye and Spider-Woman are leaving. They're playing poker, and they're leaving the table. And uh, Hawkeye says, you realize they're going to be here all night. Basically, Wolverine and Captain Marvel are kind of egging each other on. He's making fun of them. There's a conversation, caveman versus astronauts. Where'd you hear that one, Carol? And she's like, Angel. Wolverine's like, the hell is Angel? 
TV series, Vampire Detective. This is the kind of crap they discuss. Who meets who in a fight? Yeah, sometimes. Well, stupid, so you're going to fold or what? I'm thinking it over, Logan. And then there's two panels of them just staring at each other. <laughs> Where he says, thank God I'm pretty much immortal. Fine, fine, raise 20. And then Wolverine raises her. And then, you know, he's making fun of the conversation and returns to it and says, so, the astronauts, they armed? No, why not? Well, then the fight's over, isn't it? Wolverine's like, not necessarily. Fight's mind against mind, not weapon against weapon. And then uh, Captain, Captain Marvel crushes the beer can on her head. And she says, is that right? I said it, so of course it's right. <laughs> I don't know that I agree. Of course you don't. And what's that supposed to mean? Wolverine, uh, they, they play some more cards. And then Wolverine calls Captain Marvel stubborn. <laughs> but then they argue a little bit and says, but it's not like stubborn is bad. I'm stubborn. And then she says, yeah, but you're a jackass. <laughs> and Wolverine's like, well, there is that. And so um, she says, no, you don't get to get under my skin just so I'll hurry up the game and make a mistake. So Wolverine, they both throw their cards down. He's like, fine, cavemen, okay? And she's like, no, that's not what... What, what do you mean? Why cavemen? Why not astronauts? And Wolverine says, because cavemen spend every hour of their day working on survival. Astronauts spend most of their day doing paperwork and floating in zero G. They have no preparation for a slugfest. And Captain Marvel's like, you said in mind against mine. The astronaut without think. And Wolverine's like, how? <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta go with the muscles. And of course, Carol wasn't wasn't Carol Danvers either a pilot and or astronaut at some point. But she looks offended here. And a nice Kevin Coley face, by the way. He's like, astronauts have plenty of muscle. Do you doubt that? And Wolverine goes, It must be easy. You think he can take me out? You got the energy beams, flight, super strength, and me? All I got is these, and we get a snicked. That's really awesome. Between the dialogue and the snick, that's a fantastic panel. And he's like, and so many people think, some claws, some pig stickers, that's all he has. And they figure I'm easy pickings. So many of them are dead now, so, so many. So it seems to me the question is, are you in or are you out? And they stare at each other. She's like, all in, you're called. She pushes the chips in. And Wolverine's like, finally, and he pushes the chips in, but his other hand still has his claws out. Then the buildings start shaking, they're under attack. We get an awesome panel of Wolverine putting his cowl on with both his claws out. They get blown back, and it's a celestial. He says, greetings, I am the end. And he's standing over him. And they both stare at him for a second, and then Carol says, who wins in a fight, caveman or astronauts? And the celestial's stuck staring. I don't actually know, he looks like the dreaming celestial kind of, but it may not be. I don't remember them having all the spikes, so I don't know if Kevin Coley's taking artistic liberty or if it's another character, but I, I feel like it is, the Celestial. And he, he thinks about it, ponders it for a second, and he goes, Astronauts, we've already seen it, in the first Planet of the Apes movie. Taylor the astronaut was in a cage with primitive humans. A fight broke out, and he beat them. Astronauts beat cavemen, end of story. And Wolverine and, and Captain Marvel glance at each other and both smirk. <laughs> Then we see Hawkeye and Spider-Woman running back towards the room because they heard the ruckus. They go in there and the Celestial is now playing card poker with Wolverine and Captain Marvel. 
He says, if I'm going to keep coming here, we're going to need bigger cards. These are difficult to hold. <laughs> and uh, Wolverine says, we got to chat. We got to play. I'm in for 20. You got to fold or what? And we're back where we started. Don't rush me. That story was really fun. The art was really good. Of course, I mean, why not? It's Peter David and Kevin Coley. So it's going to be pretty sweet. Nice humor and a nice conversation between uh, Wolverine and Carol Danvers. Oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, we have another, the part two is Thing and Gambit, written by Mike Costa, art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Andre Mosa, Clayton Cowles is the letterer, and um, it's, another, it's, an, it's another poker story, so we get back-to-back poker stories. Basically, Thing has come to play poker with the Yancey Street gang, and one of them brings in Gambit, and we get a flashback of Thing and Gambit meeting earlier. And someone accuses Gambit of cheating, so Thing wrestles him. We get a really nice panel of, it's clobbering time. It looks awesome. Because uh, right? Sully's a good artist, too. Actually, he's a great artist. But then they kind of argue and play against each other. And it looks like Gambit is swindling the Thing. But it turns out the Thing brought him in. It's kind of a bait and switch, and they were in it together. And it was just kind of a fun throwaway story, but it's a good throwaway story. You know, it didn't feel like I was wasting my uh, $3.99. So, so yeah, the art and writing in both is really good. Um, really f- just fun. It was a fun read. I super, I enjoy Kevin Coolidge Wolverine a lot. The cover was fantastic. I'm going to give A plus X number six, three out of three claws. All right, cool. And oh wait, I almost forgot Wolverine is in a third book this month, or another book we haven't covered yet this month. That's The Superior Spider-Man number six. I actually forgot because I didn't read it in my uh, preparation because I didn't know Wolverine was in it. But I was reading it just now casually and I realized that he was. So, Superior Spider-Man number six, Joking Hazard. Written by Dan Slott, penciled by Umberto Ramos. Inked by Victor Alazaba. Color by Edgar Delgado. The Running Joke by Chris Eliopoulos. He's the letter. Stephen Wagner, one of the editors, is not laughing. <laughs> the cover is also by Ramos. It's pretty... That's okay. Uh, it's good art. It's got a screwball and the jester. And they've just uh, graffitied a advertisement for the bugle that had Spider-Man on it. They grew, drew him a mustache and some devil horns. And the superior Spider-Man is on top. It's like on a, I guess it's on a subway. Like the cover. I don't you know. What do you call those in New York? Like a little booth over the entrance to the subway. Anyway, it's on one of those. So he's on top of it. It's well drawn. I like Umberto's art. Just not the most striking cover ever. But, you know, whatever. Alright, so we start off. Of course... If you know your your Dan Slot Spider-Man lore, uh, Screwball, I don't really remember Jester that much, but Screwball uh, does a live feed of her crimes or pranks, or uh, really crimes, I guess, petty crimes. But she's teamed up with Jester, and they have a website with a live feed, and they go around doing pranks. So they've decided to prank a press conference by J. Jonah Jameson. And so they speed in there, and Jester hits the mayor, Jonah Jameson, with a pie. And then Screwball comes in and pants him to answer the online poll. And it's boxers! 
Of course, J. Jonah Jameson is super embarrassed, but they get away, and all the press is laughing, and we get a nice little shot of everybody laughing on different electronic devices. I have a smartphone, a laptop, an iPad, etc., etc. Then we have Peter Parker, who is, of course, occupied by Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus, and he's in a coffee shop with some friends, and he's like, Wahaha! <laughs> and he's laughing at the video, and and one of his co-workers says, that's like the world's creepiest laugh. And then, of course, he gets a phone call from Jameson on a secure line for Spider-Man. And so Spider-Man goes to the mayor's office. And J. Jonah and Jameson wants him to teach those punks a lesson. And Spider-Man decides that's a waste of his time. He doesn't have time for it. And then J. Jonah and Jameson talks about all the different things that Spider-Man has done to him. So, of course, he'd be on his side. And we... We go old school Spider-Man, J. Jonah uh, history. Uh, it talks about all the times that Spider-Man hung him upside down, stuck me to my chair, and glued my mouth shut. And Spider-Man thinking as Dr. Octopus says, or webbed up my glasses. Hmm, you're right. They do need to be taught a lesson, these bullies. So he sends his Spider-Bots to search, to scan the city and search for Jester and Screwball. And he tells J. Jonah Jameson he'll take care of it, and he swings off. Then we switch to some room in Avengers headquarters. We have Wolverine, Spider-Woman, Captain America, Thor, and Black Widow sitting around a table. And there's a hologram of Spider-Man. And Captain America says there's been a change in his behavior. He's gotten a lot brutal and even killed someone. Of course, referring to Massacre in the previous issue. Spider-Puss, <laughs> as some people call him, uh, killed his first villain. And Captain America is asking if they should still leave him on the Avengers. And Thor, referring to an episode they had in Avenging Spider-Man number 18, says he just had an, a team-up with Spider-Man and he was out of control. And then Wolverine kind of sticks up for him. He's like, really? You tell me. Who here doesn't have blood on his hands? I look around this table and you know what I see? A bunch of spies, soldiers, and killers. We've all done our share of Avenging, sure, but now... We're going to hold Spider-Man to a different standard? Well, we're going to cut him loose right when he needs us most? That don't sit right by me. And he suggested they wait it out. Which, of course, is cool. Because remember, as much as they kind of pick at each other, Spider-Man and Wolverine have a, um... Not tentative. Uh, what's the right word for that? They have a friendship. They, they don't necessarily always get along, but they are definitely friends, and they know they can count on each other. They, have, they definitely have a history, so it's cool to see Wolverine kind of stick up for him. And he makes some good points from a Wolverine perspective, talking about, hey, I'm an Avenger, <laughs> and uh, Black Widow there, you know, maybe Captain America can kind of get by on the squeaky clean, squeaky clean routine, but Wolverine knows he can't. I mean, he's definitely, he's killed people before. That's the part that strikes me as kind of weird about this whole conversation. I guess... The difference is Captain America knows that Spider-Man has never killed anybody before. So this is it's a warning sign for them. I guess that's kind of the main thing. Maybe if it had been Wolverine, they'd just be like, ah, oh, crap. Wolverine killed somebody again. Anyway, so we see uh, Spider-Man swinging. And he's going to meet his new uh, tutor, which is, what's her name? Anna Maria Marconi. And she is a uh, little person. And she gets out of her car. She has a smart car, oddly enough, or funny enough. And she gets out of a car, and there's a couple of guys, one of whom has 
a sweater tied over his shoulders. So you know he's a prick already. And he's like, hey, Brad, check it out. World's worst clown car, but only one clown gets out. Where are the other 20 guys? Maybe they're in the truck? <laughs> and of course, Peter Puss sees this from around the corner. And he's really mad that they're making fun of her. First, I think he has a little crush on her. Then we switch to inside his mind. And Spider-Man has been... Our Spider-Man has been searching. They have access to each other's memories. And Spider-Man, Peter Parker, is still trapped inside of his own mind that Otto is controlling. But he can also see inside Dr. Octopus's mind. And he says he's been searching his memories for a way to regain control of his body. But then whenever Otto remembers something, he's dragged along for the ride. So he goes back to a memory where uh, little Otto is being picked on. Some kid knocks his glasses off and steps on him and breaks them. And Otto cries and gets really mad. So then Peter Puss walks up to uh, Anna, right? It was Anna, right? Yeah. And he tells, he asks her if he wants, if she wants him to go teach those punks a lesson. And she says, no, I'm bigger than that, which she is. That was cool. But really, they want, she wants him to meet with one of the, their professors, Don the Snaz Lamaz. And it's a guy with a really big nose. And Peter, Dr. Octopus, was a, a classmate of his back when they were younger. But now Peter has to kind of suck up to him. But then one of the spider bots finds Jester and Screwball. So Spider Man's meeting is interrupted. And he kind of walks off rudely. But he sees the uh, two guys who are making fun of Anna, and he thinks to himself he has time for one quick diversion. So then, Screwball and Jester are looking for a new target, and Spider-Man swings by, and they decide, hey, we're going to fight Spider-Man and do a webcam, put it live. And of course, Spider-Man comes in, and he get, treats them pretty rough. And he hits Screwball, and he's like, oh, you totally punched me in the boob. <laughs> And then, so Jester shoots him with what looks kind of like a pumpkin bomb. I don't really know what it is. But it hits Spider-Puss in the nuts. And every, you can see everybody laughing online as they're watching online. And then they hit him with a bunch of balloons that are, like, filled with paint. So it's like paintball. And he gets in his face. And he rips off his lenses. Um, so you see part of his face. And everybody's laughing. And you see a nice bottom panel with ha-ha-ha-ha-ha kind of Joker style in the background. And you see a nice face of Spider-Man with the eyes missing. You see his furrowed eyebrows. Then Anna is leaving Peter a voicemail trying she wants an explanation for why he jetted off like that. But then they come, she walks to her car and those two guys, Brad and Justin, their car is upside down and it's totaled and she hears them calling for help from the trunk. So she calls 911. Then Spider-Man just, he's going to town on these guys and he uses his claws and he put it in his new uniform and he scrapes him just beating the crap out of him. And we see Jane Jonah Jameson like, yes! And Mary Jane's watching and she's like, Peter, there's no way that's... So she knows something's wrong. Then the Avengers are watching it. Captain America's asked Wolverine what he wants to do. And Wolverine says, you're right, we got to bring him in. So then uh, Peter's ghost shows up and he's like, what did you do? And we see Spider-Man all covered in paint, costume ripped up, standing over the bodies, the beaten, tattered bodies of Screwball and Jester. And Spider-Man's ghost is like, what have you done? And next, we have, instead of AVX, we have AVSM, Avengers versus Spider-Man. 
So that one I knew Wolverine was be, would be in, so I'll be ready. This is a pretty good issue. Um, I'm digging this story overall, the Superior Spider-Man, this arc we're in. Pretty cool. Um, the art was really good. I don't really like Screwball and Jester that much, but I, they serve a purpose. I got to see Alberto Ramos' Wolverine again, which I like. Well, we'll get to see more of that next issue. I'm going to give Superior Spider-Man number six. So really strong two, but I'm going to give it two out of three claws. It was almost three. I mean, I like the idea that the Spider-Man went crazy again, and so now the Avengers are coming after him, so that's cool. But anyway, uh, Superior Spider-Man number six, two out of three claws. Okay, and that is officially it. All right. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode of March 2013. I had lots of Wolverine. um, Yeah, just had a lot of good stuff to talk about. So I don't know what exactly is going to be next. Our next flashback episode is coming. I don't know if it'll be next or not. We're doing kind of an ambitious episode. Um, We're actually going to do, well... Yeah, I'll, I'll spoil it. I'll let you know. We're gonna uh, me and Cameron, or, or uh, Cameron and I don't don't give me any English teacher emails. Uh, Cameron and I are gonna be doing all of Wolverine's second year, so a Wolverine year two publication wise, not character timeline wise. And uh, so it's gonna be a nice chunk of about six X Men issues and a couple other things. We're going to kind of highlight, hit them pretty quick. You know, you get a really nice detail issue by issue. We're kind of in the same place as the Danger Room podcast. And so I don't really want to do the same thing they're doing. Because A, I like their podcast a lot. And I don't really see any need to compete with them. And I'm not trying to. And, you know, so I just want to do something a little different. Do my own kind of take on it. But at the same time, I do want to cover Wolverine's past. So... This is, I'm going to see if this works as kind of a way to do both. Yeah, so either that'll be next, but it might be the one after next. But uh, we'll see how next month goes as far as shipping schedule on how many episodes we do. But yeah, all right, that's going to do it. Um, as always, please, uh, if you're on iTunes, you can visit the webpage for show notes and stuff. That's uh, snitcast.podbean.com. Of course, you can write us an iTunes review. You can email me at snitcast.yahoo.com. Let me know what you think about the podcast or about the issues we're talking about. Uh, you can also get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash snitpodcastfanpage. And, of course, you can also follow me on Twitter at snitcast. All right, cool. Everybody, enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next time. Hugs and snicks. Bye.